In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence, I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Lord Jesus, thank, thank you once again for being here with us in this chapel. Great blessing and privilege of our Lord's presence. One of the great figures of the Old Testament is King David. And King David is a figure or a type of Christ himself. Right? Christ will become king of the universe and Jesus Christ is in the line of David. He's a descendant of David. And David is aware of, um, of his own goodness. He knows it comes from, uh, from God. But he talks about his, his own righteousness. David was holy. I know, my God, that you try the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen thy people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. And so in the whole Old Testament, David is like one of the, one of the guys, hundreds of characters, who's very special to God. And he's great at prayer. If you read the Psalms, right, they're all songs of David. They're inspired by David or composed directly by David's relationship with God. And they're amazing. Amazing manifestations of a soul who's close to God, who knows how to pray. And we know David was also like you guys, right? He was, he was young when God entered his life. The prophet goes and picks out from the sons of Jesse, the one who will succeed Saul. And David has all these older brothers. And the prophet and Jesse are there saying, hey, maybe it's this guy, right? He's pretty big and strong and athletic. Or maybe it's this guy. And Samuel's like, no, 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 it's not the one, not the one. And then they finally decide this little boy who, you know, he's so insignificant at that point that he's out in the fields, right? He's not even there for, for the draft, right? He didn't even get called for the, for the draft. And so David is holy. David is close to God. David knows how to pray. And yet, nevertheless, there's an episode in David's life in which he sins, and sins gravely, in which he commits a, a really bad sin, a mortal sin, several they kind of come, boom, 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 one on another. It's like a slippery slope, right? The, the, the slope of sin is not just slippery, it's also very steep. Right? You fall fast and far. And this is the story, you probably heard it before. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go forth to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained 
at Jerusalem. And so this is the story, of course, of, of David's committing adultery with Bathsheba. And then after that happens, in order to cover it up, he tries to get Uriah the Hittite to take a break from serving him, take a break from his duty in the army uh, to go be with his wife so David could pretend that the baby that Bathsheba is pregnant with is not his, right? Because if Uriah is with him, everyone will think, oh, that's Uriah's baby, right? It's Uriah, Uriah's wife, Uriah's baby, no problem. That doesn't work because Uriah is such a good guy that he's like, hey, I'm not going home to be with my wife and drink and take it easy when my king is here. And so Uriah stays with David and the plan doesn't work. So now David's desperate. And so what David ends up doing, as you know, is he sends Uriah into battle, into the heat of the battle, the place where the army is facing the fiercest combat. And then he tells the other guys, leave him alone there, right? Retreat from him. And Uriah dies. And so this is the beginning of the story. And so David woke up that day and uh, he wasn't thinking, well, let me go commit adultery and uh, get Uriah killed, right? Where does the story start? Well, the Bible just told us in the spring of the year, the time when kings go forth to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. And so what's the first step in this slippery slope for David? not doing what he's supposed to do when he's supposed to do it, right? It's time for kings to go to war. He's supposed to be out there with his boys, ravaging the Ammonites, besieging Rabbah, right? Doing things that all those great Old Testament kings are supposed to do, right? Kicking butt, taking names. And what does he do? He's like, ah, I'll just hang out in Jerusalem. It's a beautiful city that I created and take it easy. And it happened. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his bed and was walking upon the roof of the king's house. Now, wait a second. Did you guys hear that? Late one afternoon when David arose from his bed. Okay, not only is he like taking a break from the war, not being where he's supposed to be fulfilling his duty, but he's really lazy, right? He's really taking it easy. He gets out of bed late in the afternoon. And so we see here a kind of dereliction of duty, taking it easy on himself, a kind of sloth. And then when he gets up after sleeping for so long, what does he do? Well, he just goes and like looks around. David arose from his bed and was walking upon the roof of the king's house. Then he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And so what does he do? He goes up to the roof and he's like looking around, and then he sees something that he shouldn't be looking at, right? This woman bathing. And then he gets curious, and he inquires about her. And so David didn't have TikTok or Instagram or Google or Netflix. Um, but if he did, that's what he would have done, right? He wouldn't have gone out on his roof to look around. He would have just gotten up and said, ah, let's see what's out there. Let's see what's out there on the internet. 
Let's see what I can find. And just like David, if you walk around on the rooftop enough of the internet, right, you're going to find something that you shouldn't be looking, looking at, or you're going to find something that's bad. And then the curiosity kicks in. And then there's a fall. And David sat and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. She was purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am with child. Right? That's how it all started. It didn't start. David didn't wake up in the morning and say, yeah, what do I want to do today? I want to be a murderer. Well, first I want to be an adulteress, and then I want to be a murderer, right? Cover things up. No, it was just... He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And then he's like really lazy. And then he gives him when you're lazy, you're bored. And when you're bored, you start looking around. And when you start looking around, you find trouble. It is an old phrase, which is that idleness is the devil's workshop. Idleness is the devil's workshop. St. Maria says that, you know, it seems like the worst temptations and sins are just waiting for the first idle moment when our mind and our heart aren't occupied with good things. Lord, when we forget that you're with us, we forget what we're about. When we just want to just absolutely take it easy and not rest in a, in a fruitful way, in a edifying way, in a way that enriches us, but rather rest in a kind of selfish way, in an indulgent way. Well, that's idleness, right? And that idleness is like, you're just asking for trouble, right? You're just asking for trouble. And this happened to a very, very, very holy man. And he was holy after this. And this is the amazing thing. One of his most beautiful Psalms is Psalm 50, which he composes right after um, the prophet Samuel comes to him and accuses him of his sin. Right? He tells him this story about this, this poor guy who's got this one little lamb. Right? You know the story? And, um, and the guy likes the lamb so much that it like sleeps. He sleeps with the lamb in his arms and, and the lamb like drinks out of his cup. It's kind of gross. But anyway, you get the point. He really like loved that little, that, <laughs> that little lamb, right? And then the rich, there's this rich man who has a visitor come to him and the rich man's got plenty of, sheep and plenty of lambs and instead of preparing something for his visitor from his own flock he he just takes the poor poor guy's lamb right and kills it and prepares it for the visitor and when david hears that story he's like that's crazy what what an injustice that guy should die right who could ever do that right and samuel says this is a direct quote you are the man Right? You're the man, which is perhaps the first time that phrase was ever used so powerfully. Right? Who's the man? You're, you're the man in a negative way. And then David, it's a great scene because David doesn't say, ah, uh, well, uh, you know, I was tired. Uh, you know, the sun was out. Uh, she was very beautiful. He doesn't make excuses. Right? Well, I tried to cover it up with Uriah, but it didn't work. And uh, uh, he doesn't tell a whole story. 
right? David, once he's accused, once he knows that he's sinned, he remembers that he's sinned, right? It's brought up to him. His conscience, through, through the prophet, his conscience bothers him because he messed up so bad. David does something really awesome. He just says to Nathan, it's not the prophet Samuel, it's the prophet Nathan. He says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. And so it's, it's amazing, right? That as soon as David really is convicted of his sin, how bad it was what he did, he just admits it, right? I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says, God will have mercy on you, or God is having mercy on you already. And that's so awesome, right? If, if we fall into sin, which can happen, it doesn't need to happen. You know, mortal sins are not necessary, but they can happen. Certainly venial sins will happen. Well, if we're, if we realize, well, I messed up, right? That was bad. I did, you know, I really put my foot in it that time. And man, I really, that was a real whopper. You know, don't get complicated about it. Admit it, right? I've sinned against the Lord. And just like David, God is merciful, right? God responds, boom, like that, to contrition, especially confession, right? If there's a mortal sin, um, always confession first. Jesus appeared to this young Polish nun, St. Faustina Kowalska, um, right before the right before World War II and his whole message to her is mercy that God's mercy is infinite but that there's no sin that he can't forgive there's no sin that he's not ready to forgive why? because he died on the cross right? for sinners while we were still sinners St. Paul says right? Christ died for us and so, you know, our goodness doesn't, like, make God love us. Yeah, it makes us more pleasing to him, right? He, he, he loves us, in a certain sense, more when we're good. But it doesn't make God love us. God loves us while we're still total losers, even evil. While we were still sinners, Jesus died on the cross for us. There's an amazing passage in, this, um, in her diary, Diary of Divine Mercy. She says this. Well, this is Jesus talking to her. Jesus complained to me in these words, distrust on the part of souls is tearing at my insides. The distrust of a chosen soul causes me even greater pain. Despite my inexhaustible love for them, they do not trust me. Even my death is not enough for them. Woe to the soul that abuses these gifts. It's an incredible thing to think about. It's like Jesus in heaven, right? Who's in heaven, who's God, who's happy, he's in glory. He still is pained by distrust. And he's so ready to forgive, right? He says, even my death is not, is not enough for them. Even my death on the cross for their sins is not enough for them to trust me. And he, 
he explains it as a kind of like very serious pain. It's tearing at my insides. And I, I uh, threw my back out a couple of days ago. Some of you may have noticed. I'm not that good at hiding it. And uh, it hurts. It's getting better. I got like this heat pad from CVS that wraps around your stomach. It's not that hot. I thought it would be hotter. But anyway, it seems to be working. And I took a bunch of drugs. No, but um, a leave. A leave. All right? Not like illegal drugs. You guys have always assuming the worst. <laughs> but being in pain is like, you know, I'm not that I'm in great pain. But it's, in, it's an interesting experience, right? It hurts. It hurts. Because you have some injury. And so Jesus is telling her that when we don't trust his forgiveness, when we don't trust his mercy, when we get afraid of going to confession and saying, yeah, I did this, right? It was a big whopper. You know, it's embarrassing. And it, oh, man, why did I do that? And I did it again. And I knew it was wrong. But I was like David, just laying around, looking around. Man, I really messed up, right? Well, we don't trust that. That's okay, as long as we're sorry. And like David, we can still be very holy, and we can still pray, and we can still be great in our vocation, as long as we don't distrust him. But it's interesting, isn't it, that that distrust, Jesus would like died on the cross for us. You, Lord, who die on the cross for us and who make yourself bread for us. Right? Distrust has to hurt. It has to hurt. Because it's like, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's like, how much more can I do for you before you trust me? Right? How much more can I do? How, much, how many more ways can I find to show you that I love you? To show you that I forgive you? to show you that I'm ready always to pardon you. What else can I do? On the cross, in the Eucharist, right? what else could he possibly do to show me that he loves me? Right? To show you that he loves you and that your sins you know, don't matter. Yeah, they matter, right? They're bad, but they don't matter if we keep trusting him, keep starting over. And like David, we can get up and fight again. His um, psalm of contrition is very beautiful and helps us. Psalm 50, it's called the miserere psalm because it starts with that word, miserere. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love, according to thy abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done that which is evil in thy sight so that you are justified in thy sentence and blameless in thy judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And that he's saying something very deep there. Right? St. Paul says something similar. He says, sin, which clings so closely to us. Right? Since we have original sin and since we um, have a ha- different habits of sin, sin becomes kind of like a second nature. St. Thomas calls it that. It becomes like a, like a habit, St. Thomas says, is a second nature. 
So the things you do naturally, like when you're hungry, you naturally want to eat. When you're tired, you naturally fall asleep. Habits are like that, right? They're tendencies that become like, like a natural instinct, they're a natural reaction. And so David is saying here, my sin is ever before me. It's kind of like, you know, even, even though I know it's wrong and even though it's hard, it's just always ready to be done, right? It's very easily done. I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother, and in, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And so because of that, right, because as St. Paul says, sin clings so closely to us, and because, um, as St. Thomas Aquinas says, it's like the second nature, what's the solution, right? How do you overcome it? Well, there's only two things. One is God's mercy, God's grace. You can't do it on your own. It's like having cancer, right? You can't just cure cancer on your own. You need radiation. Radiation is like grace. Like, you know, we put ourselves in front of God and we say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Help me, help me, help me. Right? We get that just being in God's presence, being in his grace works on the tumors that are our, the sin in our soul. It clings closely to us, right? It's right by our vital organs. Or like confession, right? Confession is like an operation. We have to go and say, okay, yeah, this hurts, but... Okay, cut it here. Okay, I did this. Right? I beat up my little sister. Don't ever do that. But if you do, you have to go and say it in confession. And that hurts because, like, why are you beating up your little sister? Right? You're, you're a 16-year-old man. Right? You shouldn't beat up a little girl. But if it happens, you have to go to surgery and say, yeah, I beat up my little, <laughs> I beat up my little sister. She was really annoying. She took the last cupcake. So I uh, power slammed her. Right? Uh, or whatever. Right? Um, that's really bad, right? And, and it's really bad. It's like a tumor inside of you. And to get it out, you have to go to the surgeon and say, yeah, I beat on my little sister. Oh, that hurts. And the, and the priest will say, you did your, your little sister, you jerk? Okay. You know, say a rosary and okay, God forgives you. Hey, that's not a bad deal. And get rid of that tumor. And then you go apologize to your sister. You go to jail for about two years. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you work it out, right? Whatever, whatever you have to do. But there's always an answer. There's always an answer. There's always an answer. And so one thing is grace, right? Since sin clings so closely to us and it becomes that second nature, one thing is grace. The other thing is being resolute, right? Sin is not playing games in your life. The devil is not playing games in your life. And so you can't play games with it either. Yeah, you might be weak, you might fall into it, but your basic attitude and my basic attitude has to say, if this is a sin, if this is something that offends God, in addition to all the grace I need in prayer and in the sacraments and in the Eucharist and confession, right, all of God's help, for my part, I have to say, right, this dies. This dies. I put a stake in it like you've got to put a stake in Dracula. Right? I kill it. And St. Paul says that. Right? You have to put to death the old man. You have to put to death the old man. Our old nature is a sinful nature before baptism, outside of grace. And, and it's, it's us, but it's the old us that has to die. Put to death the old man. Cast off sin, which clings so closely. But the old man, like this picture of the old man there, Robert Moses, um, old men have old men strength. Right? It's hard to kill people. It's hard to kill someone. And so the old man has to be like choked and, you know, until his eyes are bulging out of his head and then 
and then you let him go and you think he's dead and then you hear, you know, the, and he's back alive again right? and he get, comes back and attacks you stronger than before. You don't know why. And then you choke him again and then, and then he's not dead yet. So you take a hammer and you smash his head, right? And the blood comes up and you can see the brain matter. And, you know, I mean, you have to, you have to kill the old man and he doesn't want to die and he's got old man strength. And, he, and he's got like nine lives. He'll just keep coming back alive, right? Like the brain will just go back into his head and, the, and then he's got a scar and he goes back to life. Ah, because sin is like, you know, it's serious, right? It's really a deep part of it. We have to like really go down deep with God's grace and with our effort to be good. So let's not make the mistake we're going to every once in a while, but not, let's not make the mistake of David, right? Which is making it easy, David made it easy for the temptation to come. Why? Because he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing and he was being lazy and idle. And that's a great grace. Lord Jesus Christ, help us to take sin seriously and help us to be excited about living a good life, excited about doing what you want us to do, whether it's working or resting, reading, praying, being with our friends, having fun, being on camp, whatever it is, Lord, that you want us to be active with, that you want us to be doing, help us to do it, not to be lazy, not to make it even easier for us to sin, which is laziness. It just like facilitates sin so, so much. So we ask Jesus for an active heart. St. Josemaria said something very beautiful. He said, if you want to be happy, you need a heart in love, not an easy life which is a very important thing for us to think about and pray about and believe. If you want to be happy, you need a heart in love, not an easy life. Because why? Because um, the easy life is like this siren call. And it's always there saying, oh, take it easy. Oh, have another five chocolate chip cookies. Oh, that episode ended, but you still, you know, it's only 12 o'clock. There's no school tomorrow. I can watch another episode of Parks and Rec or whatever you guys are watching <laughs> these days, right? Or uh, Baby Yoda or whatever, you know, the thing is, right? It's like the easy life keeps calling us. Take it easy on yourself. You'll be happy. Don't worry. Don't take that so seriously. It's no big deal. And it's a trap, right? It's a trap. It's a trap that, that the devil and our own laziness conspire to get us to fall. And that can happen. And then we don't, you know, don't despair. Don't give up on yourself. Don't get frustrated, right? God still loves you. You can still be great. You know, keep trusting him. Go back to, go back to confession. Start over. Yes, 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 yes. No problem with all of that. But if we know it, right, we want to make sure that we don't we don't um, we don't make ourselves easy targets. It's like a duck, right? Some of you guys hunt. Anyone hunt? If you hunt, I don't hunt, but this I guess this is the way it works. If a duck is just sitting there, right? Do you shoot the duck in the water? I guess you would, right? Why not? It's called a sitting duck, right? This is just English. 
Anyway, if you, <laughs> I don't need too much hunting experience. Just go back to the language. Yeah, if, if you're sitting around, you're a sitting duck. Right? Easy to kill. The devil just comes and said, oh, there he is, right? Sitting there in the water, not doing anything. You're dead. Um, if you are praying, if you're looking out for others, if you're not lazy, if you have a plan, what am I supposed to do today? When am I going to do it? If you have some ambition, like, hey, this summer I want to get better at dribbling with my left hand, or this summer I want to learn German, or this summer, you know, I want to, uh, whatever, uh, you know, build a shed in my backyard for my dad. Um, if you have plans and ambitions and you're praying and you have good friends and you get out of your house and you get off your computer, right, you're not a sitting duck. If you're sitting around in the house, in your room, guess what? You're a sitting duck, right? So don't be a sitting duck, right? Move, get active. You need a heart and love, a heart engaged with good things, with people, with God. Not an easy life to be happy. We go to Our Lady. Everyone is a sinner. All the saints were also sinners, except Our Lady, right? Except Our Lady. But that doesn't make her, that doesn't make her incapable of understanding us, right? Her sinlessness makes her more compassionate. And so she's called the refuge of sinners. Right, the refuge of sinners. And so if we're tempted, we go to her. If we sin, we go to her. We ask her for the grace to get back on track. Right? Always go to Our Lady, and Our Lady always leads us back to God. Our Lady, Our Mother, refuge of sinners, pray for us. Help us to avoid sin, to be sorry for it whenever it happens, and to always be trying to have this heart and love, which will make us happy. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations which you have communicated to me in communication. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.